General Walter E. Boomer, setting the tone. Combat entails dangers and challenges beyond those posed by the enemy. General Walt Boomer commanded the 1st Marine Expeditionary Force during Desert Shield and Desert Storm. From 1992 through 1994, he was the Assistant Commandant of the Marine Corps. From 1966 to 1967, however, he was a Captain in Vietnam and command of a rifle company. In this passage from an interview with Dr. Fred Allison, General Boomer relates dealing with situations that went beyond tactics, patrolling, and fighting a smart and vicious enemy. These situations required a careful and thoughtful approach to dealing with external circumstances and internal consequences of combat. Any comments on uh, your weapons, company weapons? Uh, were you using M14s at that time? Um, very interesting situation. We're using M14s. I was happy. I don't know of any Marine that I had with me who wasn't completely satisfied with the M14. All of a sudden, we, we are in the middle of nowhere. A message. In, in a few days, we're going to come in and take your M14s and give you your new rifle. Period. No, no warning, no nothing. Nothing. It's coming. It's coming. Now, as I recall, we had some contact team members come in and give us some classes on it. But we gave up a good rifle for an absolute, absolute piece of junk. The M16 was a disaster, the first model that we got. I don't know that I had anyone killed as a result of having that weapon, but I will tell you we had so many close calls and it made our life miserable. The goddamn thing just didn't function. At least put a grit, at least put a dirt, and we lived in the mud. And of course that was the thing about the M14 or the AK-47. They function no matter what. So, the Pentagon and its infinite wisdom uh, changed rifles on us. Now eventually it got better. Eventually we learned how to live with it. I will tell you, we would go into into battle, into a firefight with a cleaning rod, you know, stuck down right here because you knew it was going to malfunction. Mm. I mean, it was tragic and it was stupid. I happen to think that the whole concept was stupid. I don't think it's a good round. We're discovering in Iraq that it's not a good round. It, it, it's not big enough. It's not heavy enough. But we somehow fell into this trap of thinking oh, we're fighting in the jungle, we're fighting with our partners, the rifle's too big for them, why don't we lighten the load of our guys? So we went to this toy. And carry a lot more bullets. And carry a lot more bullets. Don't worry about marksmanship. And you can waste a lot more bullets. And I will tell you, marksmanship went to hell. Spray and pray. Yeah. Um, we got you. You know, in, in the over time, but that was what, 1966? Now, by you know, how many years later, 
We've got a rifle that functions pretty well, but I still don't like the caliber. Not that well. But that was our rifle. Now, the other things that we had functioned pretty well. M79, you had the M79. M79 saved our rear end, literally. It filled in the gap for this piece of junk that they gave us as a rifle. And we relied on that M79, the single shot at the time, right time like a shotgun. Uh, and it was devastating. And I have guys who put that thing through a little opening. Uh, so that was a great, uh, great weapon system. Not what the weapon system, great weapon. Our machine gun, the M60, functioned pretty well. Pretty good, pretty good machine gun. That just turned out to be a pretty, pretty good machine gun. Yeah. Uh, no problems with it, and it too became critically important. Our mortars were the same old mortars we'd always used. 60, uh, 60 and, uh, eight, and 81. Well, 81's... 81's were at the battalion. At the battalion level. Um, so they served as well. Although we never became as good a mortarman as the North Vietnamese era. They were, they were great mortarmen. Uh, artillery, uh, we lived or died by artillery and came to know those units and came to understand how to use artillery really well. Mm. Uh, undoubtedly saved my life more than once and saved many of my men's lives. Uh, we could call that stuff in, danger close. Uh, and then of course we, we got considerable air and could use that pretty well, but I learned very early on all of the vagaries of close air support and the mistakes that could be made uh, if everything doesn't go perfect in that process. Mm -hmm. uh, you can kill a lot of people. The wrong people. The wrong people. If that's not done right, and that has never changed. Even today, with precision guided missiles, we still have accidents. But at least I got to figure that out early on. As a unit, as a fighting unit, we were very effective. But there is one story that I need to tell you because it's very important. I tell, us, I tell this story over and over and over again. Less of a sea story than one of, I think, significant moral implications. We went back to Vietnam and in the beginning. We were stationed south of the net in a pretty built up area fighting for the most part Viet Cong but then we began to fight more and more North Vietnamese but it was a situation in which there were mines everywhere everywhere we found 98% of them but that 2% took its toll one guy a week two guys a week um, so it was really kind of a hateful place. With the mines, with the mines in which to, to operate. Every once in a while we get into a significant firefight. We could get them to close with us. We could always kick their butt. 
hadn't been there too long when the battalion sergeant called me. Unusual. Said Captain Boomer. I didn't know him that well. Uh, Navy Lieutenant MD. Said Captain Boomer, can I come out and talk to you? He said, yeah. And at that point in time, there was a decent road to our company high post that we were manning. But it wasn't a drive. You took light on you. You just didn't come out for a walk. Okay. He, he came out. We sat down. Along, he said, uh, do you know what your company's doing? I said, well, doctor, I think so. But there must be something that you know that I don't, so why don't you tell me what do you think they're doing? He said, well, when they're killing uh, an enemy, they're cutting his ears off. Laying him on his chest. Now, obviously, they knew that from the corner. Now, I had never seen that on any of that when I was there that we had killed. But I believed it. I, 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 I just I knew it was true. And this, as I discovered, had been a carryover from when they were there the first time. So I got to coming together that night, and I told him I knew what was happening. And we had a long talk about it, and I can't remember everything I said to him. But one thing I said to him was, how did you think your mother would be here? I mean, let's put the Geneva Convention aside. This is illegal. You can go to jail for this. It's immoral. But how do you think your mother would you, her son, if she knew that you, her son, when you kill the guy, when they take your knife and slicing his ear off, I said, if you ever do it again, I'll kill you. And it stopped. It stopped. And I thought a lot about that, and I was just following my instincts. But by that time, I'd learned a couple of things. One was a very thin veneer that, that keeps a lot of demons inside with human beings. If you scratch that veneer, scratch it too deeply, bad stuff jumps out. You put young men in a situation in which it's life or death. Their comrades are dying. If you're not careful, they can slip over into doing some very bad things. One of the reasons we have commissioned officers is to help them understand that they can't do that and should not do it. They won't do it. That's your job. To stand up and say, you're not going to do that ever again. And they won't. But it's that tone that has to be set by the leadership. If that tone isn't set, I guarantee you stuff will happen that you just could never have dreamed about. 
I'm not saying that every atrocity <coughs> occurs because some officer wasn't doing his or her duty. But I will tell you, few will happen if every officer, major, captain, and this is where it occurs, I mean, Italian level, you know, where they're, where the fight is taking place, lieutenant colonel, major, captain, lieutenant, if that tone is set, you will have relatively little of that. If they take, for whatever misguided reason, a hands-off approach to following the Geneva Conventions, you're headed for trouble. You're headed for big trouble. So, very early lesson for me. That has to do with moral, the moral aspects of leadership. Yeah. That's a uh, that's a good uh, good uh, perspective on the importance of moral leadership, and uh, it has been a very frustrating time too. If you're in that type of uh, where you're oh, extremely minds, and, and uh, you're getting hurt, but you can't touch them. You're getting hurt. Uh, you don't see them that often. They're hard to identify. Some degree, it's a little analogous with today's situation, which I imagine, which they're hiding amongst the general population, which the, the Vietnam insurgents did, uh, used them as shields, used them as cover, uh, could melt away very quickly because of the nature of, of, of the kind of war they were fighting, and. Uh, we had to adapt to that, but it was it was very very frustrating for the young. Frustrations in combat often come from sources beyond those supplied by the enemy. Marines are required to adjust and prepare so that they may be ready to execute the mission which is overcoming the enemy. A substantial challenge to leadership and combat readiness can arise also as Marines act in an immoral manner due to combat frustrations or an apparent sense that the standard rules of safety and ethical behavior do not apply in combat. Leaders at all levels must therefore make a stand and make it clear that some standards are never disregarded, regardless of the circumstances. How is the Marine Corps preparing its leaders, the officers and NCOs, to handle unusual situations in combat, whether it's new weapons and equipment, or unethical behavior by the men and women being led. For additional information on ethics and combat operations, suggested readings include Fields of Fire by James Webb, Matterhorn by Carl Morlantis, Four Hours in My Lay by Michael Bilton and Kevin Sim, The Inclination for War Crimes from the Military Review, May-June 2009, by Lieutenant Colonel Robert Riley, U.S. Army. Preventing Atrocities, Marine Corps Gazette, June 2000, by Stephen Daniluk. Educating the Strategic Corporal, Marine Corps Gazette, May 2009, by James Reed.